is the Santita Jackson Show. the fun, fun, fun things that happen on the Santita Jackson Show as you hear my country going off in the background. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. We're also excited on January 26th, next week, we are having our mayoral debate and if you want to attend, you have an opportunity to win some tickets. Uh, somewhere in these two hours. So keep listening, everybody. Keep listening. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. All of the candidates will be there. Joan Esposito, Patty Vasquez, and I will be moderating this forum and we're working very hard to make it great for you. What do you want to ask the candidates? Well, he's going to have that opportunity right now. The candidates are not here, but we are. And so I want you to call us at 773-763-9278. 773-763-9278. What do you want to hear them speak to? What are the big issues to you today on Thursday, January 19, 2023? Is it crime? Is it education? Is it health care? Is it COVID? Is it, is it, is it, is it the economy? I mean, what is, what's your issue or what are your issues? What do you need the mayor to speak to? What do you need these candidates? So call me at 773-763-9278, We're going to be talking about that today. And with Dr. Maxwell, we'll be talking about Martin Luther King's, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's economic justice agenda. Has it been lost in the thought? How can we get there, everybody? How can we have economic justice in America and around the world? Today. So let's get to some of these headlines before we get some good news from Pastor Darius Brooks in Chicago. It will be, well, rainy today. 36 degrees will be the high. Then Minneapolis, St. Paul, 27 degrees, you will have snow. Well, the NFL unbelievably had no game to, had no game last night. In the NBA, the Nuggets 122, the Timberwolves 118. The Bulls will be playing the Pistons tonight, and the Timberwolves will be facing off against the Raptors. In the NHL, Chicago will be playing the Fire, the Flyers, and the Wild will be playing, pay, play, my goodness, they will be playing the Hurricanes. Um, University of Illinois, Chicago, about 900 faculty, um, they're strike. They are on strike. Nine months of deadlock negotiations. They need to make more money, everybody. Hundreds of U.S. agencies are spying on Americans. That's right. When you transfer your money. Did you know that? Did you know spawned by our government when you are trying to just get you a little bit of money or transfer your money? Wow. And they couldn't catch Bernie Madoff? You talk to me. I don't understand it. I don't know how we get hounded. And then... mm, Everybody else seems to walk free. And then, of course, we are looking at the debt limit. America will reach its debt limit today, according to Treasury Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. But lawmakers have a few months to negotiate until the government defaults. Established by Congress, the debt ceiling is the maximum amount the government is able to borrow to finance obligations on debts that they already owe, on money that has already been spent. We're going to be asking Dr. Max Wolf about that today. New Zealand Prime Minister Shakinda Arden 
unexpectedly announced today that she will resign within weeks. Now, she is she has been lauded for her response to COVID. Uh, she had a baby while in office. The only Benedict Bruto has been the, has been the only other woman to have had a baby while being the head of state. And unexpectedly, uh, Prime Minister Ardern said, this is it. I just don't have enough left gas in the tank. Bless her heart. She became prime minister at the tender age of 37. And she said now she wants to spend a little bit more time with her four-year-old daughter who she had while in office. Amid the rising COVID-19 case across the U.S., U.S. Florida Republican Governor DeSantis is pushing to permanently ban coronavirus vaccine and face mask mandates in his state. And those are just a few of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. So let's get to the good news with Pastor Darius Brooks. Before we get there, I know um, I know I continue to pivot to this, Pastor Brooks, but I think it's important that people understand that you at Grace Central, um, you and the First Lady and your wonderful church family um, are making sure that people get food every week. When do you uh, do people need to sign up? How does this happen? Just very quickly. When does it happen? And if you need food, how can you get it? Santita Grace Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois. It's right off of 290 in Manhattan by Hillside and Maywood. Every Tuesday from 5 till 7, we serve eight different townships. We turn nobody away. We give between $200 and $300 worth of food. This last week, Channel 9 came out and and interviewed us, and, and Home Depot came out with about 50 people to help us. They've been watching us, seeing what we were doing, and they said, we need to come out and help you guys. They came out, helped us organize the food. They said, you need painting. They came out, and they painted the church. It's crazy. Great Central Church, 10216 South Kitchen Street. It's the real deal, y'all. I'm not just, since he not on there just saying it, people are hungry. The line was all the way from our church to the cemetery, which is about 15 blocks lined up. My daughter called me and said, Daddy, I can't get to the church. Every corner is taken up. So the word of God says, he that is great among you, let him be a server. And Santita, thank you for working hard. Really, I say that in all honesty. Thank you that every day you get up, you work hard to make sure we have this information. And Santita, the blessing is you get this information first. That's the blessing to be able to share it with us, which segues into our message today. Let's journey through the good news. Second Timothy 2, 6 and 7. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crop. Think it over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And see, I want to use what I thought this morning real quick because I'm about to shout uh, uh, when I create my own confusion. Uh, Santita, the Word of God has everything in it. It's not a religious book. It's a book where there's a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway. I don't want them to miss this scripture. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first fruit or share of the crop. He said, and, and he's basically saying, if you're just thinking about a farmer working hard, you're not understanding what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you get into what you're doing and get the information that you need, just like you said a second ago, there's some information we don't have, and you like, can you believe that? It's because we, we can get this information, but some of 
resource won't get up and get it. Ignorance is not what you don't have. Ignorance is availability of something that we won't go get, which is why you see Darius so happy. Because when I study God's word, I'm like, you said, people, wait a minute. This is in here. Don't co-sign for people. Don't send to all this is in the word of God. Watch this. Listening to any other voice other than God's word that you study, believe, trust, and obey as a believer's authority. Any other voice is the beginning of idolatry. Even when we listen to our voice and don't hear what God says, when we listen to our parents, our jobs, it's crazy. That's what Eve did. And watch this. God counted it as sin for Adam and Eve. Eve, like, don't listen to him. Bite that apple. He's just trying to be that. <laughs> like, wow, I gave you the best, God says, and you want it. Let's say, self, be careful who you're rolling with. Be careful what you put in your head and heart because the information is out here around the right kind of people to watch, sabotage, and ambush what's not for us when it comes to God. The purpose of disobedience is for deception as well as the ability to create confusion and to oppose the promises of God. It's to steal the believer away from this information that we have that's available, what they know, what they ever, that won't, that won't ever fail. God's word will give us information, Santita, that will never fail. Unchallenged confusion causes a lot of problems, for real, for real. Most importantly, to the believer, and then it spills over into mankind. we got to know God's word as individual spurts, and then we got to stop being able to share with people to be strong to do it, which is why the language about God and the church is so distorted. Anyone who don't challenge confusion, this is why I said thank you, Santita, because you're benefiting first this information and you're sharing it and you are challenging this confusion. Anyone who don't challenge confusion oppress themselves as well as others. Watch this more importantly, the believer who doesn't stand up to confusion becomes a part of it and enables the confusion to function. Santita, I'm about to run. I'm no I'm talking to this morning. Second Timothy two six says it is a hard working person who gets good information and work hard to get the stuff that they need to get. And in other words, don't lend yourself to easy answers. I want you to understand first the benefit from the hard work of knowing whatever you're doing from your business to your show to your morning show, six o'clock in the morning, getting up, working hard. What you need to know, my word disciplines you, accountable, makes you accountable and responsible. Literally and figuratively it, figuratively, it pays off so you can get some good information first. Verse seven says as I close, Think this over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything, meaning don't pay attention to all this other stuff. Just focus on what I told you to do as an individual. We've been dealing with this generational ignorance of faith. Not only are we not accomplishing what faith says we can, Santita, we also have to deal with our own current reputation of the church and the things people are saying about it and doing about it. It needs to be understood is that every organization is different. So like, so, so like just where we are, just imagine different churches of all kinds, even as ministries that just operate differently. And one's image is how they are perceived to outsiders. It's their reputation. The reason the word of God is a mirror and not a window is because some images of accurate nurturing and conditioning is not there. Not a criticism, just an observation. As I close, one has to work hard to understand that your information is a God's word is a lamp into your feet and it's a light into your pathway. He says, think this over. As individuals first, we are intelligent creatures. We learn often by trial and error. 
we figure out things. Then after a while, we develop a pattern of how we to do things. This lesson is about one who works hard and focuses, which is what the word of God says on what we're doing. Good, bad, right, wrong, flowers, and all. And study his word for their individual life to first share it in the promises of God and then share it with others. Amen to that. The address of your church and the day you can get the food. Great Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois. Every Tuesday from 5 to 7, we serve the community. On Wednesdays, we serve seniors from noon till 2, so they won't be in the evening out because it's getting dark so early. Come, you guys. You don't have to be hungry in, in 2023. Come. Darius Books, if you get lost, dot com. Information is there. GreatCentralChurch.net. Information is there. Tommy's Reunion, uh, dot com. Information is there. You can come get food. And it's to last. Yeah, it ain't no crackers and jelly. You, when you yeah. come Tuesday, it, it'll last you till next week. We get bread, but bread, bread, butter, milk, okay. eggs, fish, okay. everything. <laughs> okay. Everybody go to Great Central Church. Everybody, you need to go there. And a lot of people are showing up uh, because they need the help. And there's no harm in that. You know where you've been. You don't know where you're going. Remember that always. So let us, and let us be generous in our giving. Love you so much, Pastor Darius Brooks. Pastor Darius Brooks, we've got Dr. Shanita Knighton with us today. Infection preventionist, registered nurse. She's been college lecturer, professor. She heads up the largest organization of, of epidemiologists and infection preventionists in the world. We're so excited to have her every day. Many of us were shaken to the core when we saw someone who we all grew up with. At least, you know, at my age, we grew up with Lisa Marie Presley, and she died of, well, the autopsy results are inconclusive, but the presumption is, preliminarily, that it was cardiac arrest, which is the number one killer of women in the United States. Um, but now we're seeing that there are studies that are showing direct links between a lack of sleep and heart problems. So let's talk about that. Dr. Shanina Knighton, talk to us about that, because you're always on me about my sleep hygiene or lack thereof. <laughs> so, Santita, I think one of the biggest things that I can speak about is how the lack of sleep impacts the immune system. So that is an important topic just within itself. Our body, what happens is, is we have these protective cytokines, which are these protein cells which are produced when we are asleep, and they help to protect our health as much as possible. When we are not getting those, a lot of stuff happens when we're asleep. So our cells tend to renew themselves. Um, that's when growth happens. That's when cell repair happens. A lot of magic happens when you are asleep. However, when you are not getting sleep, your body then tends to start breaking down. Why is it breaking down when you're asleep or when you're not asleep? Because it doesn't have time to rest. It doesn't have time to recover. It doesn't have time to rejuvenate. It's still in an active mode. So if you're up moving around, if you're not sleeping and actually allowing your body time to do repair, your heart, Think about how many times it's pumping per day, how often it's having to work just within itself just to be able to keep you up. 
So then when you're not sleeping, you know that your body is sleep deprived. It's undergoing a stress state. And if your body is undergoing a stress state, you say, well, what part of my body is undergoing a stress state? And nine times out of ten, it's going to be your organs that are not going to function correctly. Think about it. When we're not sleeping well, we get brain fogs. Our brain may not be functioning as well because we're not thinking clearly. Um we may, let's say, have like an increased uh, palpitation, so your heart is racing because you need to go to sleep. Some people, which is also confounding, think that they can cheat sleep with coffee or caffeine. You cannot cheat sleep with caffeine. The one thing about the body is, for sure, you can't cheat sleep. So you might say to yourself, oh, well, I just get three hours of sleep for the rest of my life and I'll be okay or for this week. Your body eventually is going to recognize that it needs that rest, and it is going to catch up whether you want to or not. It's just like when people go through the signs. You ever seen people that decide that they want to get rid of coffee? And then they're like, oh, my gosh, like I tried to get rid of coffee, and I was super, super fatigued once I got rid of coffee. Like not having coffee makes me tired. It's not that not having coffee doesn't make you tired. The having caffeine tends to mask the fact that your body is not getting the necessary rest that it needs. Mm-hmm. People say, oh, my gosh, I'm getting ready to come off of caffeine, and now, you know, my heart is racing super, super fast. It's because your body was not in an okay state to begin with, so you were using caffeine to mask the fact that your body needed rest. You cannot cheat the body. And how I mention to people is that even still, when things seem stressed, when you say to yourself, okay, I have all of these things to do, you have to put in there a rest day or a rest moment. Because if you do not, eventually things are going to crash. I was telling somebody, Santita, recently, that when I have like big projects to do or like big assignments, working out during those assignments might be good, but working out at the end of them is also important. Because before I learned that skill, if I was literally up under stress, the minute that I got, let's say, that paper turned in or my work assignment was complete, my immune system shut down and I got really, really sick. And it wasn't until I understood why I was getting sick. And it's because when you're not sleeping, you're not resting your body, and you're not releasing that stress that you're putting on your body, it has negative consequences. Dr. Shanina Knighton, everybody, take good care of yourselves. Reach out to her and follow her on social media at Hey Dr. Nina, at Hey Dr. Nina, at H E Y D R N I N A. You'll get a lot of practical advice just like this, but you know, we keep moving so fast, Dr. Knighton, that we miss these pieces that you really do need sleep. Sleep is important, honey. God even rested. You've got to do the same thing. Give your heart a break. Give your body a break. Think about that. It made me uh, start looking at uh, my body and rest a little bit differently. Jackson's aren't that good about rest, but, you know, rest is rust. You've heard that one. Mm. 
So everybody, please take good care of yourself. Sending you much love, Dr. Knighton. Let's talk about this mayor's race. I've got two tickets to give away, not just yet. I'm going to be giving these tickets away to the mayoral forum. That is a week from today. Uh, all of the candidates will be there. Joan Esposito, Patty Vasquez, and I will be moderating this forum. You don't want to miss it, and you don't want to miss the opportunity to win tickets to it. We'll be serving lunch, too. It's going to be great. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. I want you to call me at 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278. Maggie, I want you to call me, too, because I want to find out what happened to you with your ticket. Monique McGee, reach out to me at that number. And so let's make this right. Uh, and everyone, we're going to be giving two tickets away, too, to today and to tomorrow, so that you can attend the mayoral forum. All of the candidates will be there. Joe Esposito, Patty Vasquez, and I will be moderating this forum. I think you're going to enjoy it. And going to be lunch and all of that. It's going to be great. And I don't want you to miss it. So stay right here on the Santita Jackson Show so you can hear um, hear, hear what I tell you to call on in so that you can win these tickets. Okay, everybody, call me at 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. Let me know what are the most pressing, pressing issues to you in this mayoral race. I know it's a lot. We have had election after election after election, but thank goodness, this is how our system works. My goodness. You've got to participate. And um, these are the officials. You're aldermen. You're alderwoman. Uh, your mayor, your state representative, these people directly impact how you live from day to day. So what do we, what are the issues that are most pressing to you? Is it jobs? Is it violence? Uh, is it education? And I was reading an interesting article about Willie Wilson. Good for him. He wants to bring uh, vocational education back to Chicago, which is what we desperately need. Desperately need. We used to have these vocational schools. We used to produce uh, the plumbers and people work inside of your home and work inside of buildings. We don't do that anymore. And we should. It's not that we don't have the talent. We just don't have the will. Mm, think about that. So, I mean, in many of our European brothers and sisters who, immigrant, who immigrate here, they have that skill set. They've been taught that at home. They're not the only ones who prepare. They are the ones who've been prepared to do it. They're not the only ones who are capable. We always had that before, but now we have let vocational education fall by the wayside. And you need you need academic education. Some people have those talents. Some people have the vocational skills. Look, if I want to go to court, I'm going to call a lawyer. But if there's something wrong in my house, I need someone someone with vocational food. My lawyer can't help me. Think about that, everybody. All right, uh, before we get into what the pressing issues are for this uh, mayoral campaign, we got to throw a well. To throw a well, what's on your mind, huh? 
Good morning, Santita, and thank you so much for having us this morning. At Celebrations by Us, we are your one-stop party connection, and right now we're gearing up for the Super Bowl as well as also Valentine's Day. So please give us a call at 708-526-4546. We can handle all of your catering needs as well as also your custom decor. We do fresh flower arrangements as well as also we're doing delivery for Valentine's Day. So if you're looking to order flower arrangements, uh, chocolate cup, strawberries, whatever it is that you need for your Valentine's Day sweetheart, call us at 708-526-4546. We look forward to serving you. Thank you so much, Santita. Absolutely, absolutely. Everybody, we have got a wonderful round table. Um, and now we need to get up Dr. Thurston, Reverend Thurston, <laughs> board operator, <laughs> so that we can have uh, Reverend Thurston join us today as we talk about the issues, the pressing issues, um, as different people see them. Okay, well, we'll get in. We'll get, we'll get Pastor Thurston. Let's get him. Because uh, we want to hear from a broad array of people, starting with you. I want you to call me at 773. 763-9278-773-763-9278. I want you to let me know what you think the big issue is or the big issues are that are confronting this city that you want the mayor to deal with head on. What do you want to hear when we have this forum next week? Do you want to talk about crime? Do you want to talk about, and please don't give me the liberal tropes about, oh, it's because people have no money. We shut down all these schools. We shut down all of these schools, and guess what? When we shut down these schools, we closed a real door of pathway to education, academically and vocationally to a whole generation of people and to the people who work at these schools from the principal on down, or should I say on over. Think about that. Closing all of these doors of opportunity. Of course you're going to have all this chaos out here. And so we've got to talk about that and we've got to talk about health care. We've got to talk about violence. We've got, to, oh, there's just so much to talk about. We've got a tremendous panel with us today, and I'm very, very excited to welcome these people. Well, they've been to the show before, but it means a whole lot to have them here with us today because we really want to take these issues apart. We have got um, Dr. Sonia Whitaker, National Education Policy Director for Push for Excellence. Indeed, she's been a superintendent of schools, brilliant educator, and published author. Delmarie Cobbs. Well, she said, okay, just call me a political and media consultant. You talk about underplaying it. She's been a she's a beautiful woman, has been an on-air reporter, but I was, I met Delmarie Cobb when she was Reverend Jesse Jackson's press secretary for his presidential campaign. She went to work for Hillary Clinton and everybody else because she is that brilliant and that necessary. Reverend Jeanette Wilson, Esquire, director of the Rainbow Push, Push Excel program, senior pastor also at the Maple Park United Methodist Church, and then of course, not pulling up the rear, but you know, you're the gentleman here, Reverend Stephen Thurston II. He um, is just a recently retired teaching pastor of Salem Baptist Church, but who knows what else is in store for him. I'm very excited about what, what's in store for Pastor Thurston, the author of Mirror Moments, of course. He is on Facebook Live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. So let's start with you, Dr. Whitaker. Two minutes for each one of you here, just two, because I want to get things around and, and get the get the callers in. What um what do you want to hear at this forum? We have 
plenty of them, but of course WCBT form is especially, um, especially special. What do you want? To, what do you want to get these candidates? Uh, talk about what do you want to see a mayor do once they get in? Dr. Whitaker. Thank you so much for that question. The first thing that I would, I would hope that these candidates would do is make it clear that education is a priority. Sometimes, it's, in my humble estimation, far too often these um, debates and discussions are very limited on their conversation about specifics uh, relevant to the need to level the playing field for black, brown students and children experiencing the impact of poverty as it relates to achieving the goal of equity in education. I would hope that they are laying out a blueprint, a plan of action for addressing some key and specific areas, which we can talk about a little later, but one of them being um, passing of special education or fully funding, special education funding. Um, Research is telling us now that it has been 50 years since there's been any significant changes, even at the Congress level, as it relates to the funding of special education. And so during the mayoral discussions, it is my hope that they would be talking about what they intend to do at the local, state, and national level to make sure that our education is funded equitably, particularly in the area of special education. And then I can address a few other items that you deem it necessary. No, that's a, that's a big, big, big deal. Um, mm-hmm. Reverend Thurston, your thoughts? I think that Chicago needs a comprehensive community center plan to end gun violence and a permanent office to tackle the issue from the ground up. Now, we do currently have an office of violence reduction, and that was a step in the right direction. But in the current crisis, we need more. We need a comprehensive long-term plan uh, that's going to address this issue. And what this office would do and what the politicians need to be prepared to address is that this office needs to create a comprehensive long-term plan uh, needs to convene an advisory board that's led by some experts, community leaders, and survivors of gun violence that will help to provide some strategic direction and oversight, uh, have some procurement power to provide the resources necessary in communities, uh, and ensure cohesive strategy across the city agencies to leverage the full power of the city to address this violence. And this can't be an executive order type piece. This has to be established by ordinance and have a minimum budget of at least $100 million to do some real impact in this area that's devastating our communities. Where would you want to do that money? Do how would you how would how would you implement the program? Would you do that through private entities, the YMCA, through churches? What how would you do that? We need to hit. There's no single silver bullet. We need to directly impact organizations that are doing the work, that are making impact, that are making headway, that are addressing issues uh, with our young people, with people that are actively engaged in violence in the communities. So whether it be YMCA, churches, small nonprofits at the grassroots level, whoever's doing the work and has been involved, and this is not a pay-to-play situation, the people who are really doing the work and making an impact, they need the resources to keep doing what they're doing at an even greater level. What are your thoughts? And how do you think that this, how do you think the race is being, I want you to grade the media too. <laughs> I've got a lot that's wrapped up in there for you to do. I mean, but what are the, what are the pressing issues? And do you think the pressing issues are being amplified in media? 
Well, the pressing issue certainly is is uh, crime, and uh, I don't think we could be looking at crime any more than we are, since it leads every newscast uh, for the first five minutes. That's all you see is crime, and it gives the impression that, of course, um, our communities are just um, forsaken, and and they have been forsaken. Uh, to some degree, because if you look at what has happened over the last 40 years under Daly and Rahm Emanuel, um, there's been no investment in our communities. You see them dying on the vine. There's been no comprehensive approach to revitalizing our community, thriving our community. I mean, if so crime is important. But we also have to look at all the roots of crime, and that's what your uh, other guests are talking about. I mean, you know, education, people who are educated, they get jobs. When you get a job, you're not committing a crime. And so it has to be those three things that go together. The other thing is when you look at this uh, public housing, I mean, the plan for transformation, it's over 20 years old, and we still don't have any of these communities rebuilt with all the promises that were made. You close the schools. There's got to be a direct correlation between the decrease in school population and the increase in crime. You can't say that that doesn't all go together. Close schools, decrease school population, increase crime. So if we don't take a comprehensive approach to how to revitalize our communities and our city, and that's what is wrong, we're looking at the city as the central business district north, not the central business district south and west. Mm-hmm. Reverend, not Reverend Thurston, Reverend Jeanette Wilson, big issue as you see it, or the big issues as you see them. The big issue, I think, is economic investment in uh, neighborhoods all across the city. There's 70 plus communities in Chicago. The majority of uh, African American and Latino communities have limited investment, and we've seen limited change uh, since the the election of Mayor Daley. There has not been adequate investment. As a result, you have a rise in crime because people will survive. And I think every candidate has to look at the level of student homelessness. Students and children who are homeless, particularly those who are teenagers, they're going to figure out a way to survive. And what their way of survival is not going to allow them to fit within the mainstream of nonviolence. We have to look at every neighborhood where this violence occurs, and that's in uh, 10 communities. If you look at those communities, they're under-invested, under-resourced, and they are the places where you have the largest number of closed schools. Those schools were closed under Rahm Emanuel, and there's been no investment in those neighborhoods since then in, in, in the kind of, at the kind of level that's necessary. So these candidates have to form a really a blue-ribbon panel of experts to look at what kind of Marshall Plan, which is what uh, we need and what we use when we bomb uh, countries around the world, you give them an investment uh, measure that allows them to uh, be restored to a whole community. And what we keep doing is patchwork. If most of these violent communities 
They have no schools. The parks are not functioning for the benefit of children. So you have students, when they do leave uh, schools, wherever they are, they go to uh, homes where there's no adult supervision. They're They're not engaged. Uh, positively. You should not have one church like Flager trying to have midnight basketball, but across the city, nothing's happening for kids after after schools do close, those that are still open. And so as we look at the economic uh, character of this city, there must be a public-private partnership. No one should be able to serve a school unless they have a balance of investment in the business the business population of the residents of that neighborhood. How do you have Chatham with few, if any, African-American-owned businesses, and then yet it's a, a, a community of all African-Americans? How do you see people fixing the streets, fixing buildings that don't look like us in Chatham, in Inglewood, in Park Manor? These are communities that are predominantly 100% in most instances African-American, and we're not working, standing around, looking around. So we have to invest financially. Crime is a byproduct of lack of investment. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, let me pivot back to you, Dr. Whitaker, as people are giving everyone here the amen. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Whitaker, uh, Willie Wilson, uh, one of the candidates for mayor, uh, has is putting an emphasis on vocational education, which is something that we don't really talk about anymore. We see a lot of our Eastern European brothers who come into the United States, and they have these tremendous skill sets, vocational skill sets. And one has to wonder, well, what happened here? You know, the Washburn School, I mean, uh, all of these vocational schools that I grew up with, we don't see them anymore. And we surely need them. I mean, the the need didn't go away, but we don't talk about that, let alone uh, our kids who have special needs, and so many of them do. Right. I think one of the ways that we can address that, going back to an initial point that you made earlier, which is related to policies, is making sure that there are policies that put in place that say that the students have to have exposure to vocational education, and they can have exposure to vocational education as early as early childhood, as early as elementary school. They shouldn't have to wait until they get to high school to determine if there are some skills that they possess for which they can implement in a setting outside academia. And so that's where policies take place, in alignment with the development of curriculum in that area. If we want students to be, we were using this term college and career readiness, but if you examine most school districts' curriculum, the career readiness is like an add-on or an afterthought or a one-off. And what I'm suggesting, which you don't hear people say often enough, is that that expectation, again, that exposure should be embedded in the curricular-related expectations that students are exposed to. And the only way to guarantee that that happens is through the development and then the implementation and the monitoring of policy, board policy that speaks to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marie Cobb, you're a veteran of the media, um, the more brilliant mind in, in this space I do not know. The media are responsible for crafting the narratives. Delmarie Cobb, and um, the narrative that they craft is one of, um, with respect to crime, well, um, basically, 
the black community and brown communities, well, they're depraved. There's something lacking, of course. But when, when a boy goes and shoots up, when a young man goes and shoots up a Fourth of July parade, he's just, we don't even hear that he's got problems when his father okays it pretty much. Uh, what about, what, what are we looking at here in terms of how they craft the narrative? Because no one is talking about the closing of the schools and the, div- and the devastating impact that Rahm Emanuel's closing of these schools when he told Karen Lewis, 25% of these kids aren't going to make it anyway. Did he not do that, Del Marie? Exactly. That's exactly what he said. And that was the beginning of them falling out. And And when you look at what he meant by that, uh, 25% aren't going to make it anyway because 25% um, um, who go to, you've got the rest of the kids who are going to uh, private school, they're going to charter school, and they're going to selective enrollment school. Those are the 75% who are going to make it, and the 25% are those who are going to neighborhood schools, which I'm going to close most of them. So he had a plan, and he was going to carry out the plan, and he did. And there was not the kind of pushback that there should have been in our community. And now we're looking at the devastation of that decision. And and we're looking at the devastation of many decisions. And when you're talking about the, 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 the media, unfortunately, the media, local media, uh, is not doing the kind of in-depth investigative stories that they once did, and that's a symptom of the the, the technology. Uh, I have people in the newsrooms who are telling me they're covering whatever's trending on Twitter, and so the news has changed. I mean, they're now they're no longer doing one story. They've got to do four or five stories on four or five different platforms, uh, versions of that story. And so the, the in-depth reporting is, is missing. And and there should have been in-depth reporting when the schools were being closed. There should have been in-depth reporting when uh, Rahm Emanuel held a news conference to much fanfare, media fanfare, that he was going to take all the conductors off the trains and replace them with cameras and nobody said anything and I'm sitting in my office when I heard the news conference and I'm thinking well if you've got a camera that's after the fact the crime has already been committed if you've got a human you might be able to stop the crime so now we've got this problem with CTA and and the trains and all the crime and it's because we had cameras we replace human beings. And so all these decisions that have been made that make no sense, there was no pushback. Hmm. Hmm. Reverend Wilson, no pushback. <laughs> what? what? I, and, we're, and we're paying for that now. Exactly. Well, I think that Del Marie is a- absolutely correct. As a community, we've stopped uh, responding to the needs of our people and stopped re- addressing the issues. When you had a Marion Stamps and, um, and and that whole team, Nancy Jefferson, schools were different because parents decided, I'm going to make sure that my child has a, a great public education. 
equal to other, other school districts. And so they would go to the board meetings. They monitored them. It wasn't just the media. Our people began to monitor meetings. We don't know what's going on in City Hall. We don't know what's going on in the county board meetings because we don't attend. And many of us are retired. We unemployed. Go to these meetings so you know what's happening. And then join groups like Rainbow Push. Uh, the churches have to become more civically engaged. We just seem to drift around and, and not know that there's a difference between a school in Inglewood than a school in Unequal Valley. There's a disparity in how these school buildings are maintained or not maintained. How do you have a building that's 100 years old that cannot even accept the technology of the time? Our children have uh, are, are trained in science and technology with a cart going from classroom to classroom. Maybe one teacher in the entire uh, uh, area, school area, that's capable of teaching students the technology. We're not equipping our kids for the century that they live in. We are still, you look at many of our school buildings, they are poorly uh, staffed in terms of science, math, engineering, and technology. When I grew up, in every high school, we had some form of um, training for students to learn carpentry. They learned basic electrical. And it wasn't like you were the slow child, so we put you in and shop. Shop was available across the board. I could type when I graduated from high school because I was prepared to... Shop is not easy. Boy, like, Pardon me? Stop <laughs> ain't easy. <laughs> no. Oh my goodness. It's, I mean, not, I mean, none of this stuff is easy. But when we come back to this, I, you know, I want to hear from you, and I want to hear from you, Reverend Thurston. What should the church's response be in this season? When our voices need to be heard, as people are coming to you saying, "Hey, I need a job. I need some food." You're like, "Wait, wait, wait. wait. Are you registered to vote?" Think about that, everybody. Call me. Call us at 773-762-9278. Back with more of the San Diego Jackson Show in a moment. In the next hour, in just a few minutes, we're going to have Dr. Wolf. And we are also going to give away two tickets to this January 26th event. One week from today, the WCPT, Mayoral Forum. you got to be there. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Back to the San Peter Jackson Show. You know I'm going to be giving away these tickets to the January 26th WCPT mayoral forum. All of the candidates will be there, and we want you to be there too. We'll be serving lunch. It's going to be great. And um, Joan Esposito, Patty Vasquez, and I, yours truly, San Peter Jackson, will be moderating this debate. I'm getting some great notes from all of you. Quite frankly, I'm just. I just started taking notes because I just think that, you know, as the questions are pulled together, these are the issues that we need to bring to the public. We need to bring to the public and we need to bring to those who are running. And, you know, and not just when you run, when you get there, this is what I need you to address. Call us at 773 
773-763-9278. I'm Santita Jackson coming to you from the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, WCPT and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, and meet my morning stars on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and Santita Jackson and Friends. That's my Facebook page, everybody. Um, as we get into the rest of this show, let me get some of these headlines out the way. In Chicago, a high of 44 degrees. It will be cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 34 degrees. Snow showers. No activity um, in, uh, well, no, no, I mean, just... Really, everybody, no activity in the NFL last night, which is, like, amazing because they are playing, like, every night of the week. But we did have activity in the NBA. The Nuggets, 122. The Timberwolves, 118. The Bulls will be playing the Pistons tonight. In the NHL, the Chicago will be playing, Chicago will be playing the, the Flyers, and the Wilds will be playing the Hurricanes. And the Raptors will be playing the Timberwolves in the NBA going to be great tonight. Everybody, the University of Illinois, well, the faculty are on strike. About 900 faculty, but they've been, had nine months of deadlock negotiations. Uh, wages, everybody, wages, wages, wages and working conditions. Hundreds of U.S. agencies that you know are spying on you when you get your money transferred. Yeah, that's happening too. Everybody, uh, the U.S. is expected to reach its debt ceiling limit today according to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. But lawmakers have a few months to negotiate until the government defaults. Let's hope that does not happen. New Zealand, New Zealand Prime Minister unexpectedly announced today that she will resign within a week, saying she doesn't believe she has the energy to seek re-election in the October polls. Um, indeed, she was doing very well with COVID, but something there was a turn. Now her... Um, her favorability ratings are hovering in the 30s, so she just said she's going to call it a day. First elected at the age of 37. Amid rising COVID-19 cases across the U.S., Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis is pushing to permanently ban coronavirus vaccine and face mandates in his state. Those are just some of the headlines. In the meantime, I want you to think about your financial freedom. Think about it. I want you to reach out to Team Hochberg if you are selling your home or purchasing a new home and would like to save thousands of dollars. Guess what? Call Team Hochberg, your trusted local lender. They can help you to save lots of money. Team Hochberg is offering everyone their perks at work benefit through the end of April, which can save you thousands of dollars the next time you buy or sell a home. Here's how it works. When a Team Hochberg affiliated realtor sells your home, they'll reduce their fee up to 1%. When a Team Hochberg affiliated realtor helps you to purchase a home, you will receive up to 1% of their commission as a closing cost benefit. And Team Hochberg will credit their loan origination fee and their affiliated attorney will reduce his fee. You can't lose with this, everybody. A couple sold, closed, a couple saved close to nine thousand dollars using this Pokes at Work program when they sold their home and purchased their new home with Team Hochberg. So to learn how you can save thousands of dollars the next time you buy or sell a home, give Team Hochberg a call at eight five five. 
56David, 855-56David, or visit them at 56David.com. 56David.com. They are your equal housing lender, everybody. We are talking with this tremendous panel, Del Marie Cobb, media and political specialist, um, She's helped so many in politics, from Reverend Jesse Jackson, the Congressman Je- John, uh, Jesse Jackson Jr., to Hillary Clinton. Everybody calls upon her, and they should. And we have got the brilliant, brilliant. I'm always so glad to have her whenever I can get her, but so many people do want you. Dr. Sonia Whitaker, uh, she is the National Policy Director for Push Excel. Of course, the head of Push Excel is Reverend Jeanette Wilson, Esquire, and we've got the retired, recently retired pastor and the author of Mirror Moments, recently retired pastor of, uh, of the Salem Baptist Church with us today, Reverend Stephen Thurston. You've been hearing all of us talk about vocational education, academic education, serving kids with special needs, all that uh, the media do not tell us about What's really driving crime? What's really driving our misery? That's it's misery indexed, Reverend Thurston. Uh, why don't you respond to what you've heard? I think it's all pointing towards root cause analysis. These guests have highlighted key indicators that drive crime. And for so long in the political space and in the social space, we deal with uh, the, the outer edges rather than getting to the core of the issues. And these brilliant ladies have highlighted the core issues that politicians have to address and stop skirting around. If we're going to see sustainable change take place in our community. Santita, you, you brought up before the break the church and the role of the church. And it irritates me to sit in meetings with preachers. I'm going to go behind the curtain and tell the secret. We sit in these meetings and we have conversations and we invite politicians to the table. But pastors are not educated on policy. And so they know not what to ask when we have the opportunity with politicians. And so we don't make pushes. We ask for pictures. I'll say it again. We don't make pushes. We ask for pictures and ask them to come to our programs rather than fighting for the issues that are taking place within our communities and with our congregants. That has to change. Preachers and pastors have to be more accountable with the power and the leverage that they hold to amplify their voice and use their voice to make adequate change. Uh, and another key indicator... Uh-huh. Well, no, no, let me ask you this. I just interrupted, if you don't mind, because you've been at two of the most iconic churches, really, in, in black America, New Covenant. Um you know, you go back, what, you're four generations deep into that church um, as the pastor. And then you've got, of course, Salem Baptist Church. What are what do people need? What are you seeing people's needs are, Pastor Thurston? What do they need? Do they need food, clothing, shelter, jobs, education, what? I mean, over the course of the past couple of years, at least 20,000 families were fed by Salem. That says a whole lot. And Santita, it wasn't people coming to the church pushing shopping carts. People were driving Cadillacs and Mercedes in need. People's basic needs need to be met. With inflation up, jobs down, the middle class being squeezed out, our people are hurting. They're in need of everything. And when we look at our young people, they're in need of hope and they're in need of exposure. All of these elements combined create uh, some dynamic forces uh, that that present some major obstacles that we have to chip away at uh, with perseverance. You know, I mean, and Del Marie Cobb, in the analysis, in the media's analysis, in the run-up to this election, we don't hear we don't hear that. 
you know, we hear the end result, the violence. We hear um, that, you know, Americans are struggling in school. We hear, we hear, we hear. We're not even having the discussion about making the Internet a public utility. So that if we get locked down again, so that every person has access to the Internet. <laughs> you know, and I realize that this is pushing against the corporatocracy, uh, but how is, is there a way for us to move the needle with the media? Uh, you know, that what uh, Reverend Thurston just said is very important in terms of policy and 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 the media and policy. All of that is connected. And that's part of the problem is our community um, is not we're not talking to each other in the way that we should. And and all, everybody's trying to get their own and they want to show that they're in the room. And that's more important than anything else is being in the room. And prime example is in 2019, I was doing a campaign over at 55th and Halsted. And in setting up the campaign office for Alderman, I was trying to get Internet. And the operator at AT AT&T told me there was no Internet at 55th and Halsted. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What do you mean no Internet? And, And so we ran an entire campaign on hotspots. That's how we ran the campaign. And it fast forward to 2020 and COVID, and then we found out nobody, <laughs> a lot of people, didn't have Internet access. And what did that mean to our kids? And during that campaign in 2019, I made Internet access a major issue of our campaign because I discovered that in Inglewood, South Shore, and Auburn Gresham, and in Austin, 50% of households didn't have access to Internet. Those are issues that we as a community should know because if you don't have access to Internet, what kind of business are you going to attract to those communities? Cash and carry. That's what kind of businesses and cash and carry businesses in our communities. We know what those are. We have a proliferation of those businesses in our community. We don't have the kind of diversity of businesses in our community that we need. And so, give me the data. Wait a minute. What neighborhoods did you just say? What happened now? So, Austin, Auburn, Austin, Auburn, Gresham. Inglewood and South Shore, 50% of the households didn't have access to the Internet prior to COVID. COVID happened, and then we see what happened. But I did, a, I, did sto- I did a column on it when I discovered it because that was an infrastructure issue. That means under Daily, that means under ROM, we didn't have Internet access. That means that when AT&T was coming to you talking about other issues, you were supposed to say, but I need you to make Internet access available in these neighborhoods. And that's where the churches come in, and that's where our organizations come in, and that's where we have to use our leverage and, and push these, path, these uh, uh, politicians and say that you've got to tell these corporations you can't have A if you don't do B. And I think Delmarie's point, uh, and to back to uh, Reverend Thurston's point, it is the power of the church. 
when used properly that will make the changes. Dr. King was a pastor preacher and civil rights leader. He focused on these issues. Most of the churches, quiet as kept, did not have adequate <coughs> internet pre-COVID. Exactly. So when COVID hit, when COVID hit, they, they canceled service because they had no capacity to produce a service uh, electronically, virtually. And so much much of what we are experiencing, we see happening in schools with our children, it's happening in the communities. Dr. Whitaker knows that many of the students could not do homework because they didn't have Internet. Even if you gave them a hotspot, the families did not have electricity because lights had been shut off, a period. So... There are a lot of issues that are, are built around this idea of poverty in our communities. Our people are struggling without the basics. And what we consider basic in the real world is not what uh, poor people are experiencing on a daily basis. And so I think the pastors have a role to play as we look at who's running for mayor, it's not who's going to give your child, your sister, your wife a job. It is, however, who's going to have the best vision for the city and the community where your church sits. Many of these church communities are completely under-resourced and violent. You have vacant lots, which could be community gardens, where our people learn the value of farming. These vacant these are uh, uh, houses in the community. Who cuts the grass? Who maintains the school grounds? Who shovels the snow? Those are major contracts that can be guaranteed for neighborhood investment. We have to have someone that has a vision for rebuilding the city as Nehemiah did in the biblical times. And, that, and he, he did... Uh, things block by block, rebuild where you live, rebuild where your church sits. What do you see? Who's, what companies are in, in your church's neighborhood that should be investing in the children and the schools that exist in your church's neighborhood? I think we have to have a more comprehensive, engaged uh, pe group of people looking at how do we transform our city, and therefore, who do we want to be at the executive branch of the city, as well as who do we want to be in the legislative branch? Who's making the policies? These aldermen who want to run for aldermen, they also have to be held accountable to the communities where they are sitting, where their offices are located. How can you have parks that are closed at 5 o'clock and have no programs for children? That's unacceptable. Again, again, when you're talking about the schools, I mean the schools should be well, re, well, well rounded and well resourced, and and they're not. I mean, I did, I had a jazz organization that I uh, represented, and we spent. I had someone in my office call every high school in Chicago and ask them <laughs> if they had a jazz band. And the majority of the schools in Chicago that had a jazz band, there were one or two black ones, but the majority were white schools that had jazz bands. And when, so when you're talking about jazz and art and all of those and music and other things and singing and choir and sports, when you took all of those out of the schools, for some kids, that may be the only reason they go to school. 
is because Absolutely. they want to they want to be involved in one of those activities. And if you tell them they got to keep their grades up in order to be involved in one of those activities, that may be their only impetus. And so you cannot take those things out of the school and then expect somebody to just come to school and do nothing. That's all they're coming for is just to study. It has to be. For, for many of them, that is their social network. So you have to provide activities for them so that they can be engaged. Esports is one of the biggest, the largest growing technolo- technology uh, programs in, a, in the world, really. We're not teaching our children this gaming. How do you design and build games? If you go to any of our schools, I can make them be excited about math because esports would help them see the, what math will give them, what math allows them to do. You would understand physics. If you use the technology, but if you go to 90% of the elementary schools in the black community, they don't have a technology program. It just doesn't exist. They have equipment maybe sitting in the hallway somewhere. And if I may interject as a practitioner. Yes, I only have about four minutes left. Dr. Whitaker, why don't you speak to that? Say, if I may interject, because I think it's important to mention not only am I National Education Policy Director for Push for Excellence, but I'm a practitioner. I'm the Deputy Superintendent of Schools. And I'm listening to everything that I'm hearing, but I also think that we have to have more support for teachers. We've got to take some things off of their plate. We've got to tell them that you don't have to teach to the test. And when we prioritize, when we narrow the priorities and determine what equity in education looks like and be clear about what we expect every student to experience, including jazz education, when we prioritize and then fund appropriately, they can get that job done. But there are some things, I must repeat, that have to come off the plate in order for them to do so and do so effectively. I report, I, they report to me every single day. They're tired. They're frustrated. And they don't have time to obtain the level of professional development that they need to keep up with the continuous, continuous growing needs of students experiencing the impact of poverty. Well, I mean, so, okay, sit in my shoes. I've got about, well, you know what? I'm going to bring you all over just for, can you stay with me about five more minutes for the other side of the break? Sure. Because, you know, but let me start here. Um, what, yes, ma'am. What, if, if you if you were sitting in the if if you were going to be asked if you were to ask this panel of candidates a question, what question would you ask, Dr. Whitaker? I would ask, what is your blueprint for education look like relevant to ensuring equity across the board? What does that actually look like? Now, how do you feel about it? But what does it actually look like? Mm. What is equity in education? Equity or equality? What does that mean to you? Yeah, what does that mean to you? Does that mean that you're going to ensure that every student has access to music education? Does that mean that you recognize that we have a mental health crisis going on? And does that mean that you're willing to commit in the form of funding that every student has access 10 to 1 to a social worker? What does that look like? And where are you going to get that funding from? Oh, I could go on and on with this. <laughs> Sorry. No, but you. But I think we have to. Yeah. Read. We have to. We, Doctor Doctor Whitaker, Reverend Wilson, and Reverend Thurston. We have to go on and on because we're going we do. We down do. and down the drain and drain. I mean, this is this is not this is not the way we're supposed to be living. 
And I think having those questions, those specific questions before that debate, you know, prepared along these lines, I think we should talk again. Okay, we'll have him hold on. We're gonna get we're gonna get to him on the other. Well, you know, let's bring up Brian. We got two minutes before we go to break. You mm-hmm. got the floor. Well, I can't say much in two minutes, except uh, I am not from Chicago. I am from Joliet. But uh, I want to express uh, that uh, I feel that the true man of integrity and the next uh, and brilliance, uh, and he addresses all the issues that have been discussed today, is Brandon Johnson. And uh, uh, there has been some uh, uh, allegations and innuendos thrown out against him. Uh, uh, just because he wants to end all poverty in Chicago and just because he wants good jobs at good wages and that that will reduce crime uh, does not make him a socialist. Uh, that maybe you could say a new dealer is not a socialist, as some have said. And also, I don't believe we need uh, or Chicago needs an Eric Adams with his law and order. I think you have to get underneath the underlying causes of crime in the city. And again, uh, Brandon Johnson has addressed all these issues, I feel, adequately that have been expressed this morning. And you don't have to be, you, you don't have to be from Chicago to weigh in on this, because this is an American dilemma. Thank you, Mr. Dreiser. This is an American dilemma. America, what are we going to do? about educating our children, saving our children, and saving the adults that they become. I mean, what, what are we going to do? Are we going to make, are we going to give everyone equal access to equal high-quality education and health care and fair and decent housing, the Internet? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, why, you know, four of the, top, of the biggest cities in the United States, Houston, L.A., Chicago, New York. They're headed by black mayors, and they're headed by black mayors who, what happened to them is what happened to Mayor Hatcher 50 years ago. The money's gone. <laughs> so, what's up? Call me at 773-763-9278. Got Dr. Maxwell. We're going to wedge him in on this, because we were talking about economic justice ladies. Dr. King's program. Well, I think this is it's a perfect dovetail into this. Back with more of the Santita Jackson show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. We've been having a stirring conversation on what you want to hear discussed at Wednesday, well, at next week's WCPT Mayoral Forum. I mean, we've been talking about education, 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 uh, unhoused, really homeless students, crime. Is it? More, it's more than. It's more than. Um, it, it's it's it, violence is just it's the, it's the tip of the spear. Everybody, you close these schools. You have just. We have continued to nurse hopelessness in the environment, and this is what we're seeing. Uh, we the park districts. Where are the after school programs? Where are they? What about the internet as a public utility? Capital improvements. Who gets the, who gets the contracts? 
I mean, let's think about this, everybody. These are the things that we need to be asking the mayor. So the mayor, if they can't get it done, they need to press the governor and then press the president, particularly when you're the mayor of a city like Chicago, Golden City, one of the biggest and the best in the world, everybody. But first, I got to give these tickets away. We are giving away a pair of tickets to WCPT Chicago Mayoral Forum Thursday, January 26th at Morningstar Auditorium across from Daly Plaza here in Chicago. All nine candidates have confirmed, all nine candidates have confirmed their participation in the candidates' lunch um, in, the, in the forum. This is your chance to hear directly from these candidates. Lunch will be provided at 11 a.m. The forum begins at noon. Joan Esposito, yours truly, Santita Jackson, and Patty Vasquez will be moderating the forum. The forum on WCPT is sponsored by Morningstar, Roofers, Local 11, and Oscar Iberian Rugs. Contest money on WCPT 820 are open to listeners 18 or older and residents of the greater Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana area. One entry per person, one winner per household, void where prohibited by law. Listeners may only win or qualify to win once every 30 days. Complete rules are available on our website, WCPT820.com, by clicking the contest tab. Call me at 773. 773- Seven six three nine two seven eight. so I can give you these tickets and you can join us at this debate. I'm going to get some closing thoughts before we come to you, uh, Dr. Wolf. I want to get some closing thoughts from uh, the panel, of course. Uh, Reverend Wilson made her exit, but let me start with you. Um, I want to get a minute from each of you, and I'm going to have you back before we come up next Thursday, because I want to hear more from you about what the issues are. Dr. Whitaker, National Policy Director for the Push for Excellence Program. My closing thoughts are, again, that I think, you know, I'm I'm going to do a quick quote which states that we know where the problems lie. We know where the resources are needed. The question is, to what extent do we possess the political will needed to act upon what we know? And so with regards to this debate and discussion, it was my hope, it is my hope that they come to the table with fundamental knowledge of exactly where the problems lie and what the resources are needed and a clear plan of action for what they are prepared to do if they are currently in the seat in particular to do differently. And if they're not in the seat, what are they, re- what are they ready and prepared to do to add value to what is currently happening in the system? Because it's not totally broke to make a difference in the lives of our students. Hmm. Del Marie Cobb. I wrote a column uh, this week after, uh, in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King, and it was uh, in, in response to his last book, which was Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? And I said it has to be community because we must come together and save us. We must save us. And part of saving us means that we have to become more active. We have to hold people more accountable. We have to be more vocal. We cannot just go along to get along. We can't just be about what we're getting individually. It has to be what we're getting from everyone as a community. And that goes from the president all the way down to whatever low-level political office there is. These people are our representatives. They, are, they do not know more than us. We have to tell them what they should be doing. And then we have to hold them accountable. They represent us. They're our voice in whatever specific 
office they're in. And so when they get in there and then suddenly they're telling us instead of us telling them, there's a problem. And we have to get back to what representative government is supposed to be and what it looks like. And that's where we've lost the mark because we're allowing them to make decisions that adversely affect our community. And this is the result of decades of those kinds of decisions and us accepting them and not pushing back. Reverend Thurston, your closing thought. I echo her sentiments. We are a collective community, and we can't be in a position where we're always waiting on someone else to step up to the plate and handle the issue at hand. We've got to do our part, raise our voice, elevate our awareness and our knowledge so that when we have the opportunity to lift our voice and sit in front of people with power and pin power, we're able to effectively articulate what our needs are, what our concerns are, what action steps we'd like them to take, what policy, policy drives it all, what policy we'd like for them to drive forward that will benefit us in mass. All right, I think we have a winner. Please let me know who the winner is, board operator. Oh, and what is and what is your name? Uh, my name What's is Del Stanley Davis. My name is Del Stanley Davis. Yes, I am fresh out of the hospital, and I don't want to miss this mayoral forum. I have some tough questions for these candidates. Amen. I'm so glad that you're back because you've had us worried, Stanley. But I'm glad that you won. Yay, Stanley. Yes, yes, I'm excited. I am. This, this, uh, These times, and I said in the comments that once again the black communities find themselves behind the eight ball. And that's a sad commentary. It's very sad. Um, my mother gave me a very valuable lesson, and she said, love is an action verb. Talk is cheap. And that's, that's where we are now. We've come to just talking, and we don't see actions. And I think the action must be deliberate. It has to be clear. Uh, and it has to be decisive to turn this ship around. Well, you know, I tell you what, I will say this, as, and I want to thank everyone for for participating, Del Marie Cobb, Dr. Sonia Whitaker, uh, Reverend Jeanette Wilson, uh, and Reverend Thurston, I want to have you all back before we have this forum next week because I think that your voices are needed. Uh, we don't hear enough of you. We don't hear enough from you. I mean, the fact is, I think that, you know, the price of liberty is your eternal vigilance. You can't just let one person run one leg of the race or several legs, however, however long they've been blessed to live, and think that the struggle is over. The struggle continues. But if you continue struggling, victory is certain. That is the other side of that expression. So I think that black people just have to understand uh, brown people have to understand, white people who are poor, who are under the boot, that you have to understand that you have to continue to fight to stay free. Nobody gives your freedom to you. You win it. And you have to fight for it every single day. And you have to make a demand that we be treated 
at least as well as the oligarchs. We we traded monarchs for oligarchs, and look at where we are. Which brings me to you, Dr. Maxwell, brilliant economist. Dr. King's fight, you said you wanted to look at Dr. King and economic justice, because this is King Week, really. And um, that was his big fight. The last big campaign was economic justice, whether it's the poor people's campaign, looking at a fair distribution of wealth, and on and on and on and on. Talk to me about that. Why did you think that it was important to talk about economic justice today? And what does that look like? To be brutally honest, there's two reasons. One is because it always tickles my fancy to have some reasonable idea that I might have something to add to the debate. <laughs> so normally that means economics, because otherwise I might be out on the skinny branches in terms of my contribution. But also I think maybe the sort of Martin Luther King celebrations that we have, and they're valuable, they often are a celebration of a small piece, the less modern, less controversial small piece of a more complicated, more 360-degree figure. And the piece that does get celebrated often is not inclusive of any of the economic work, right? And so I guess as an economist, I noticed that. It also seems to be, to me, and maybe that's because I'm an economist, that the story of black in America is very much a story of fighting to control your own economic destiny. Because after all, slavery that brought so many people, not all, but so many people here, who are now in the black community in the United States was in fact an economic system built on the exploitation of that labor, right? So even the fact that you're here for a lot of folks, at least initially was as a result of trafficking of humans as part of a profit scheme, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, the fact that you're black in America probably has a lot to do with the global economy. Now, that's actually true of every white and Asian and Hispanic person here, too. Uh, just the way they got here may not have been as cargo. May have been, too. May not, may not have been, right? And that's true of, of people of all races, but maybe more unique to the black American experience because it's so, so common than to some of the other groups' experiences. But it seems like it's the place the story begins, maybe for everyone, but certainly, you know, I think in the black community. And then I think also the Martin Luther King that gets celebrated as he should be is often the sort of reconstructed, sanitized Martin Luther King that makes people feel comfortable being fans. And while I do think people should be comfortable to be fans, I think they should be comfortable with the 360 degrees of a complicated historical figure, not the 90 degrees that fits pretty comfortably into modern corporate American market economics. And a little bit less comfortable fit might be the most important to know about today when we find the struggles that were forecast as likely by King and others very much at the forefront of our debates right now, right? And that is, can you really be free and equal if you don't have free or equal access to the power structure of the economy? Can you be free and equal in a society built on inequality of wealth, Right? And if that inequality of wealth grows, as it has so aggressively, really, since around the time of his death, again, probably not an accident, but the wealth equality of the United States for all people, not just for people of color, peaked in the years immediately following the death of, of King and then went on quite a tear. So starting about eight or nine years after, after he's assassinated, the inequality in the United States blows out 
And there are a lot of warnings about that inequality, right? And there's inequality of race, and there's inequality of income, there's inequality of education. So there are, there are many inequalities, right? But I think what makes Dr. King's social theory so interesting to me, right? And I think of him also as a social theorist as well, obviously as a leader, but it's also a social theorist of, of some real acumen and some some important points that he sort of brings to the fore of the American discussion. And one of the things that keeps getting talked about there is a society built on injustice has a hard time making good on any of its promises. Hmm. I don't think so I don't think that lesson is less of the moment now than it was fifty years ago. You know, now now they're going to call you woke because, you know, you have you have a body of people in the United States. Many of them, they might be a generation or two in or they could have come with the Mayflower. I don't know. But many of them do not want to teach about um, how the country was actually founded. I mean, when I see all of these, and I get that, right? It's okay. Brothers and sisters from the south. Well, I mean, well, I mean, you know, I'm looking at a new. We we have a, we keep a slave class here. We don't want to pay labor. We just we don't. And we got to talk about that, Doctor Wilson. How can we grow as a society if the society, if the structurally, economically, is predicated upon uh, unpaid or, I mean, just just barely paid labor. How is that supposed to work? No, I think that's difficult. I also think it makes sense to be angry and upset about some of the things that have happened here. Right. And my guess would be that a lot of the anger and the upset, it's really a question of what you want to do about it. Right. Because my guess is that there aren't that many people who have any sense of empathy or feeling who aren't pretty upset to hear the stories of slavery and segregation and Jim Crow and dogs and fire hoses turned on women and children and peaceful protesters, right? I mean, those are highly disturbing stories, especially if you identify with the people on the sort of good side of the hose or the right side of the leash. I like it, but that's still very disturbing for people and it should be upsetting. The, The problem I would have with it is I just think what you do isn't hide the upsetting thing. It's you drag it out into the light and work it through so that it's a little bit less raw next time. It's still going to be raw. It's still going to be there, right? But I think it's always the cover-up, not the crime. I think that's true of our many and flowery political scandals, and I think it's also true of history, right? So the cover-up is always worse than the crime. And I think that's true socially. It's true historically, right? So I understand being upset and not wanting your kids to be upset and feel bad and being worried about things that make your pride, reasonable pride, and the achievements of the U.S., which are very real also, not wanting that torn. I totally get that. I think what's interesting is thinking that the people who are telling the story are tearing that pride and upsetting you, as opposed to the social forces that perpetrated these crimes, I think that's a bit unfortunate. And then the other thing I'd say is when you have a terrible secret and you don't let anyone tell it, it doesn't go away. It grows. And what grows in the dark is usually not your friend. So even for you, for for the folks identifying with the perpetrators of these historical crimes or mistreatments, pretending they didn't happen is a pretty poor solution, right? That tumor that doesn't go to the doctor with you and doesn't get looked at, it doesn't go away. 
right? It metastasizes. What do you know? It does metastasize. And so my question is, we're still in the election season. We're about to elect a new mayor here in Chicago. Uh, the city functionally, we don't have a lot of money. I'm still living and I'm not a resident. So that combo. For both of you. <laughs> strike, strike one. You're still living. There you go. Well, you've told to me. Um, how do we get, it's like our priorities are really a way off. Dr. Wolf, we can't fight all these wars and 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 build it, rebuild the infrastructure in the United States and get our kids to school, whether it's, you know, the regular academic track or the vocational track, let alone special needs. What I mean, wasn't that part of Dr. King's vision, justice, as seen through the lens of, of the economy? What is that supposed to look like? I mean, my guess would be that our priorities are supposed to be ours. They're not supposed to be someone else's. And I think Uh when I think of Dr. King or any leader, it's important to me to think of Dr. King would have been a crazy guy talking to himself in a park if it hadn't been for hundreds of thousands of young black men and young black women and young white men and young white women who risked quite a bit to stand up with him and stand next to him, right? And many of them are still alive. And many of them carry forward his ideas, his thoughts, his dreams. I mean, none more so than your father, right? He was literally kind of at his right hand a lot of the time. But a lot of the people who made that movement that we associate with King, he wouldn't have been able to, he would be the first to say that he wouldn't have been able to do any of these things without all those supporters, without all those people taking the risks beside him. And when you're the famous guy and they beat you up, at least it makes it in the newspaper. When you're just a 15-year-old black kid in a, in a Jim Crow state standing next to that person, you have a lot more vulnerability, actually. Because when a terrible thing happens to you, all you have will be the screams of your mom and maybe your family and a few activists who are probably marginalized trying to make your story known, right? But so there's a lot of courage, more than one man. And also important to keep that in mind because that lives on. You can't assassinate a movement even if you do assassinate the leaders. Right, movement lives on, perhaps damaged, but still alive. And I think the story there was, if you want your chance at the American dream, you have to be at the table when the priorities are set, and then vigilant to keep feet to the fire if you can get your priorities to become part of, quote-unquote, our priorities. And I think that struggle has ebbed and flowed, and when it ebbs, it's very painful. And when it flows, it's pretty exciting. And so we know that works. And we know that's the story of every progressive social movement we've had. And while I guess you could call this woke, I've never really understood exactly what the term means. Um, But I would say people have accused me sometimes correctly, no doubt, of many things worse than that. Well, I mean, talk to me. We've got this mayoral race coming. And you look at urban America and you see the shape that it's in. You've got Karen Bass, who just became the, the mayor of Los Angeles. She said her first her first priority is to deal with the unhoused, to deal with homelessness in 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 L.A. You know, California is just on the floor, unaffordable from the north to the south for everybody. Um, yeah. You've got you've got the struggles of the, of the mayor of Houston, the struggles of the mayor of Chicago, the struggles of, of the mayor of New York. I mean, coming I let's let's face facts. Lori Lightfoot inherited a mess. She did. Yeah. No money here. At least the money. The money is it's it's is not here. So 
So, I mean, just going forward, I've got about three minutes. They belong to you. What should these should these mayors come together or should they, and and go to, go to the federal government? I mean, what should, what should they do so that they can get the money to do the things that they need to do? Yeah, so I would start with the assessment of the facts on the ground. We've had a mini hurry up version of the 60s and 70s or current big cities across the country. And I live in Brooklyn, which isn't that dissimilar from a lot of the, the locations that you mentioned. So obviously you mentioned New York City, which which includes Brooklyn. But the borough of Brooklyn is about the same size as Chicago, and we have a fair number of the same issues, as does Oakland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, St. Louis, well, you know, whatever, name your city. Obviously there are always differences, but but there are a fair number of similarities. And what I mean by hurry up 60s and 70s is everybody was moving into the cities. That created gentrification and prices that were unaffordable. Those landlords were then bailed out with low interest rates. Then we had COVID and everyone with money decided maybe it was cooler not to be in the city. Too many people, too much illness, maybe get out to the country, have a little more space, get a little further from everybody else. And so this tax base of the cities hollowed out with the work from everywhere and the running from the cities. At the same time, the mental health crisis, the gun crisis in the United States, because there was a gun buying binge, and I know this will anger some people, but still occurs to me as a statistician that more guns around seems to correlate with more people using the gun, so that's why they buy them. So we have a gun violence crisis, we have a mental health crisis, we have a loss of tax base, and we have a spike in services. So if you're a city, then you see a lot of your high earners leave, you see a lot of your sort of area where you have commercial enterprise get crushed by the internet and the shutdowns in the economy, the small businesses, the restaurants, the small shops that we all know failed in massive droves in a way that's historically without precedent. So you have this loss of the tax base. You have a loss of the attraction. You have an increase in crime. You have an industry of hyping this increase of crime because one of our parties is running on it and they don't care much if it's true or not. So you have this hype again of the crime. So you have a loss of tax base. You have a loss of residents with high income. You have a loss of commercial activity. You have a loss of tourists and you have a spike in demand for services. Right, so there's a lot less hot dogs in the cart and a lot longer line of people waiting for hot dogs. You don't need the PhD in economics to figure out that you're going to have to make some changes here, right? And so that's the situation cities find themselves in. But also pillaring the cities and talking them down is now a national political strategy in part. And here's the interesting part, because cities are the future. Cities are where America's population lives. And cities are, by design, grossly underrepresented in our representative government. So I think you have to say it like it is about what's going on in the cities, and you have to demand proper representation. And that begins by voting. To Max Wolf, everybody, and Dr. Sonia Whitaker, and Mel Marie Todd, and Reverend Jeanette Wilson, and Reverend Stephen Thurston II, and Dr. Shanine tonight, and of course, Reverend Gary Brooks, and my board operator who makes it happen. Sending you much love, everybody. Please join us January 26th. It is going to be something fantastic. All of the candidates will be on the stage with us and we'll be able to ask them the questions. What questions do you want to have them answer? Or at least hear from you. Because that's what we do. We speak for you. I'm Sam Peter Jackson. It's a joy to be with you. An honor, a blessing, a gift. I love you, everybody. Can't wait to be with you tomorrow on the Sam Peter Jackson Show. God bless. 